It's sadly Monday, but the Blue Bloods are back to make your Monday a little bit better. We start the episode by discussing the situation brewing in Clemson with Dabo Sweeney. And then we continue our hot seat segment. And today we head to the CUSA. And then we start a new segment where we re-rank past recruiting classes and give the new top five recruits for each year. And today we're going to go analyze the loaded 2013 class. And of course, we wrap it up with our 2021 recruiting update. And today we head down to Waco, Texas to look at the Baylor Bears. We have a full show today, guys. So let's kick it off. If you've listened or watched um, what any national sports show, you probably know a little bit about the Dabo Sweeney situation in Clemson. The first news that broke was that assistant coach Danny Pierman used a racial slur at practice in 2017. Sweeney said that Pierman would have been fired immediately if the slur was directed at a player, but stated that Pierman made a mistake by just repeating the phrase a player already has said. Then, to make matters worse, a photo of Dabo Sweeney wearing a Football Lives Matter shirt leaked to Twitter and caused an uproar across the country. And this all followed a fallout started by DeAndre Hopkins when he called out the Clemson campus for having multiple buildings with questionable name origins. So as of this weekend, Dabo and the Clemson football team held a march and a peaceful protest around campus And Dabo has now come out and said that his players and past players have educated him on the struggle of African-Americans and that he is embarrassed by his recent comments. So, Brandon, after all that, what is your take on all this? And, and, you know, we kind of want to keep this focused on football. So do you see any after effects of all this stretching to the field or and or future recruiting? Oh, yeah, man. And look, I'm not here to talk politics. I understand there's a lot of there's a lot of things brewing in this country right now. I'd like to stay away from that. Um, like I've mentioned to you in the past, I haven't said this on the show yet, but um, I, I feel like our show is kind of like an escape from reality. And while there is so much going on right now, we kind of like to steer clear of it. But this this does have to do with football. It really does. Um, and it is bigger than that, too. You know, it's not just football, obviously, but um I want to focus on what you said when you talked about the repercussions of maybe recruiting or maybe Clemson's public image. Um, and, and I see that, you know, I, I see it affected in a very negative way. Um, I don't see Clemson. Um, I, I don't see them kind of rebounding from this. Uh, I think that recruiting probably takes a pretty big hit. You know, if you are on Twitter um, or on social media at all, uh, you kind of see like a public outcry um, from players in the NFL, players at Clemson who are just showing their uh, – they're just showing that they don't agree with what's going on at Clemson. And it's not only the things that are going on you know, within the program. It's not just, hey, did Dabo do this? Did Dabo do that? Did this coach say this? No, it's not that alone. It's also like, hey, 
for instance, today, DeAndre Hopkins posted a video uh, or retweeted a video of, of trucks lined up in Clemson to to meet, you know, to meet downtown at the at, the, at a protest. It's just a line of cars that are carrying Confederate flags. And DeAndre Hopkins, he's quoted as saying, welcome to the real Clemson, South Carolina, the city where I was born and raised. Uh, but the good people of Clemson outweigh these Nazis. Now, there's a line of cars carrying these flags. Um, and, and, you know, football being the sport it is and being dominated by, uh, I don't want to say a majority of African-American athletes, but there are quite a few African-American athletes. Uh, I just don't want to say that without getting my facts straight first. Um, I see this as like a deterrent. I understand Clemson's good. I understand it looks good for their draft stock in the future playing for Clemson. It really boosts the resume. But being in a town that's th- that, I mean, this video here, it just shows a line of cars that are going to a Black Lives Matter protest with Confederate flags flying openly. I don't know, man. I can't agree with it. Um, and I can't imagine these recruits that are facing a lot more than I am can agree with it. Yeah, I agree. And like Brandon said, this story's dominated the headlines, so we don't want to try to lecture you guys on politics. If you want to know how we feel about all this, go check out a few episodes where we set our piece on the situation. Um, the, the thing I do want to say is that I think this is just another example of a situation. We've talked about it with Michael Leach on the show. You just have to strive to educate yourselves on issues like this in America before you speak out, especially with a platform like Dabo Sweeney has. And I really like what Christian Wilkins and some other Clemson players said by saying that Dabo needed to be educated on the struggles of African-Americans and that he's not just an evil, bad person. And since having conversations with some of these players, Dabo's greatly changed his tone or stance on this issue. And I mean, the situation with the assistant coach just got really, really out of hand. And I think you got to put it on Dabo, right, Brandon? I mean, if you're going to run the program, when situations like that arise, you must, you have to act swiftly and appropriately, or it gets like this where there's bitter players, there's unresolved tension, and it's just, it boils over in times like this. Right. And it's, you know, it's definitely an issue that's bigger than football. And I think that at times Dabo has been a little bit tone deaf right now. And like I said, I'm not here to talk politics. That's not my forte. I'm not greatly educated uh, as far as politics go. I probably could be more educated uh, and I probably should take the time to be more educated, but I'm not. And so I'm not going to sit here and harp on that too much, but Dabo is truly, I, I think he's kind of in the same boat where I'm at, where I, where I'm at, where he might not, fully understand everything going on but unlike me he's speaking out about it you know whether he means to or not you know wearing the football life matters shirt is is kind of a it's it's a it's a uh, tone deaf and uh, unflattering look especially in in the light of uh, recent events in this country absolutely i mean absolutely and i want to shift to on the field stuff like more what we wanted to focus on and I see a lot of players taking clips and off their list of schools. And I think this is due to multiple reasons, Brandon. I think some stretch off the field and others are on the field. I mean, Brandon, how big is negative recruiting in today's uh, college football landscape? I mean, if, if you really don't think schools like LSU, Georgia, Alabama, 
even Auburn are blowing this up in in players' ears, then I think you're dead wrong. I mean, I think schools that compete against Clemson are flipping this on its head and could steal some really good recruits that might have been on their way to Clemson. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, we haven't necessarily seen a lot of decommits from Clemson uh, in light of this, but I, I still think it's really early. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff is coming out in the past week, two weeks. Um, more specifically, I, I mean, I, I think that, that the, um, the brunt of it's coming out more so in the past week. And so we might end up seeing it, you know, these players have a lot to think about. Um, and, and their decisions may come soon. You know, they may decide to, to fight through what's going on um, and maybe not decommit, but it's definitely going to hurt um, the future commits, you know, commits that haven't, you know, signed. Well, no one's signed the paperwork yet, but it, unless you were in the class of 2020, but it, it's going to affect a lot of those players that haven't committed yet, I think. Yeah, and I mean, another thing is that families may not want to send their sons to go across the country and play for a school that seems to be buried in controversy right now. I mean, virtual recruiting is not going to work in Clemson's favor right now. Like uh, uh, Zoom meetings and things like that are not how you build real-life connections. And with a program like Clemson who recruits nationally, why would I send my my kid from California to Clemson, South Carolina, if all this is going on? I mean, Brandon, would you feel comfortable after not meeting these coaches in person, after hearing all this stuff, as sending your kid across the country to this program? No, and I think that, you know, no matter where you stand on this issue, I think that, you know, there's a lot of controversy going on in Clemson right now. I think there's a lot of tension. Um, and I, I wouldn't be comfortable personally sending my, you know, my theoretical child, I don't have a child, but sending my theoretical, theoretical child to go play in Clemson right now. I think there's a lot of tension and I think that it's, it's not a good place to be at the moment. No, I mean, definitely not. And so we talked, Brandon, how, how long ago was the Mike Leach situation? Probably a little bit over a month or two. Um, I think it was in, I think it was in April. Yeah, April, and that's when Mike Leach tweeted a racially insensitive tweet with a noose, and we addressed that on the podcast. And this is where I think it separates like a total program destruction. I think this is why we're not going to see any transfers from Clemson. We might just see an effect on recruiting, and it's because I think players within the program already have such a great relationship with the coaching staff and the community that – I don't think anyone's going to really transfer. I mean, when you look at the Mike Lee situation, he had no trust built up in Starkville. He had no goodwill or anything. I mean, so the players didn't really have that bond. So transferring was a way easier decision for them. While Dapo has been at this program for years. And so he has a little bit of goodwill built up. And we've seen so many players stand up for Dabo, current and past. And, we didn't see that for Mike Leach because he didn't have any ties with Mississippi State. So I think that's the reason we're going to see Clemson survive this. But I really think this is a learning experience for everyone, guys. And I think the best way to end this segment is just to say that we should all, like we said with Mike Leach, man, think before you speak and make sure we are we are educated on what we are speaking on. And I think that's the best way to end this segment. So we're going to go ahead, move on to – some other segments, more to do about college football 
And of course, we're going to start with our hot seat watch that we've been doing for a while now. Go check out our most recent episodes for some more of these. We've we've ran through the power of five, most of the group of five. But today, guys, we're going to head to the Conference USA or CUSA today. So, Brandon, which head coaches from this conference do you feel are on the hot seat right now? Uh, we're bouncing back, Zach, because I feel like there are a few head coaches on the hot seat here. Um, but first and foremost, I'm going to have to give a hand uh, to Coach Dana Dimel in El Paso at the University of Texas, El Paso, um, because his overall record there is two and 22. So that's, you know, take that as you will. I think it's pretty bad. Um, it, but it is better than what, than what, uh, UTEP faced in, in 2017, the year before he showed up, which was 0 and 12. He's been one and 11 for the past two years. It doesn't really seem like things are getting a whole lot better. Um, I'm, I'm sort of starting to think that maybe they're going to go 1-11 again. So UTEP, uh, for, for those that aren't very familiar with Conference USA, haven't always just been this laughing stock. I mean, as a matter of fact, in 2014, they made a bowl game. They went 7-6. and six. Uh, That was one of their better seasons in recent memory. Um, they've never been, like, great, but they've, they've, they've never been this bad, I would say. Um, UTEP at this point is just the laughing stock of the Conference USA, and Conference USA is the laughing stock of the group of five. So, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't get much worse than than uh, than this head coach, in my opinion. I, I think you have to turn something around at some point. You know, I mean, there was obviously that one zero and twelve season, but before that, I mean, they were at least winning, you know, four or fives. I mean, even seven games at one point. So, uh, you got to turn it around and. I don't see him doing it. I think that it's it's a wrap for him halfway through the season. It it has to be though, right? I mean, okay, so guys, Dana Damo is probably on the hottest seat of all time, and he came into UTEP as a popular assistant from Kansas State. He was known as Bill Snyder's right hand man, and was at K State through both of their glory years in the late nineties, mid early two thousand tens in Manhattan, and you know, like Brandon said, two in the two and twenty-two record through two years is terrible. And if you analyze the wins they've had, Brandon, do you know what school they beat in two thousand nineteen? I forgot. I feel like I should know this. Houston Baptist. Yeah, not great. By two points, they almost lost it. <laughs> I don't even know what division Houston Baptist is in. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What is that? Is that like is that like Texas 4A high school? I, maybe if that. I don't even know if they can get to 4A in Texas. Maybe maybe like 4A Minnesota or something. Texas so high school football. Yeah, um, I mean, because yeah, Minnesota high school football isn't like Texas too. Tex- some of these Texas high schools, man, are for real. Houston Baptist better be on the lookout. Um, and Brandon, their one win in 2018 was Rice. By one possession. And Rice is the other laughing stock in the Conference USA. So that, That's true. Um, but you know what's the sad part? Why I have Dommel on the hot seat is because there's no Houston Baptist to ease the pain in El Paso. Um, Brandon, they replace Houston Baptist with non-conference games against Texas Tech. They have to travel to Nevada, and then they have to travel to Texas. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I think he's done for. You, you, you already convinced me. Yeah, I mean, uh, how I, I'm really looking at the schedule, and 0-12 season is actually the most likely scenario for this team. And if Donald survives a 2-34 record, I don't know how he gets fired. Yeah, no, I mean, fair. I mean, just go play the instant of play football game like on your old Xbox 360. Try to go two and thirty-four. I promise you, you're not going to make it. Even like, I, it just makes no sense how you're even two and thirty-four. I, I don't understand no, no. How, how that even happens. No, it should never happen. It's you know that, that's actually that's actually really bad. <laughs> now that I'm actually comprehending, two and thirty-four. Oh my goodness. That's what he'll be if he goes 0 twelve, man. That and two and twenty two, two and twenty two is just as bad. Like I mean, uh, you as a just a group of five power five. If you're a D one program, you should be able to win more than one game. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that you is just. I, I I don't know. I guess not. But you know, we'll stop picking on UTEP. I don't think they have a lot to be happy about so we'll at least let them rest on this podcast but my next pick it might be a little bit of a stretch Brandon but I can see it happening and that's Rick Stockstill from Middle Tennessee um okay and I see on your list oh yeah okay awesome well, we can build off this together um the reason I have him on the list is because I think he just wore out his welcome I mean if that makes any sense. So he's been a coach here since 2006, guys. And if the trend starts to be a losing season, then a new direction is going to have to be taken. New, fresh outlooks get recruits on campus. And that leads to rebuilds, new goals, new energy brought into the program. I mean, if he's losing, wh- why would you come play for a coach who's been at the school forever and could not win? It's the same trap Boston College fell into with Steve um, – uh, well, I forgot, Steve um, Adazio. And I, I really think after a 4-8 and eight season last year with losses to Rice and Charlotte, I, I think that, that, that calls to put uh, you know Coach Rick on the hot seat. Right. No, I mean, it has to. You know, he, he does have a winning record overall. You know, it's his first head coaching gig. He's been there for what? I mean, close to 10 seasons. Well, more than 10 seasons now. I mean, he's been at Middle Tennessee forever. Um, but like you said, he's worn out his welcome. Uh, 92 and 86 overall is decent, especially for Middle Tennessee. But I feel like Middle Tennessee at this point shouldn't be going 4-8, uh, and eight, right? I mean, that's where they went last season. No, I think terrible. I think, well, any losing season there is not good. But I think that especially uh, two in a row is going to – I mean, that's that's got to give you the boot, right? Uh, I don't know. It, I mean, he's done pretty well. I mean, like I said, 92 and 86 overall from Middle Tennessee. I'll take it. But you can't give me – you can't give me a losing season. You need to get to a bowl game if you're Middle Tennessee. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so I'll jump way ahead of my argument. If a six-win season does not come to fruition this, this year – I see Middle Tennessee has to move in a younger direction. I mean, this season, I'd see six guaranteed losses for Middle Tennessee. They have to go to Duke. They have Virginia Tech coming to play at Middle Tennessee. I don't know how they worked that deal out. They have to play Western Kentucky, made a bowl game last year. 
at Marshall made a bowl game last year, at UConn, and then they play Florida Atlantic, who also won their bowl game last year. Those are the six guaranteed losses I see here. And games against Charlotte, North Texas, and Rice aren't going to be easy wins either. So I see six and six to three and nine. And I think if you don't hit that six and six mark, you just go ahead and hit the reset button on the program. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. You know, uh, like I said, a bowl game is basically a necessity for, uh, um, for middle Tennessee. And, and I think anything short of that loses the job for them. Um, It it should, it should, especially after what uh, almost you're like, you're approaching just, you're already over 10 years into the job and you're really approaching 15 or more. And, how do you not have this program competing for a bowl game already? Right. Right. And you're not even, it's not even, I mean, you're, you're kind of close, but two wins off. Isn't that close. I was going to say he's not even close, but I guess he's a little close. I, I, I don't see four wins as super close to being bowl eligible. No, to, that's, that's actually a, that's actually a good bit away. I can see maybe one, but two wins, like you, sh- you, that's on you. I think at that point, right? I mean, you had that many chances. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and move away from him. I have one more coach on my hot seat in this conference, um, and I'm going to have to go with Mike Bloomgren here uh, out of Rice. You know, Rice isn't a team that necessarily wins a lot of football games. I'm not going to call them a good football program. Uh, I, I simply won't. You know, this past season he went three and nine there. Before that, it was two and eleven. This is his third year, um, and you know, Rice, like I said, historically hasn't been great. But I don't know. There's some, there's something that rubs me wrong about going consistently two and eleven, three and nine. I mean, he's five and twenty overall, um, and this is after Rice. I mean, Rice hasn't always been the laughing stock that they are right now. You know, right now. I mean, some people would call a three-win season pretty good for Rice. But in 2013, we saw Rice win 10 football games. And 2014, we saw them win eight games. And it's just all been downhill since there. They fired their head coach in 2017 after going 1-11. And now they've, they've decided to hang their hat on a guy who's, going, who's, who's gone 5-20 and 20 over the past two seasons. Um, I, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll say it one more time. Rice is not a good football program, but I think that he needs to step it up, and I don't think that another three and nine season keeps him his job. And, and it really shouldn't. I mean, I, I didn't have him on here. Um, I don't know why. I guess I might have missed that one, but I mean, I like that pick, and I feel like if he does give another three and nine, two and ten season, he's got to go. I mean. But it's also hard because some of these programs are being rebuilt from the absolute bottom. So you might have to give them a little bit more slack than you would Power 5 coach at at, at a bigger program. But uh, like you said, Rice might not be a great program. But if you're getting neutral side games against LSU, you probably need to do better than 2-10. Two, two and 10. Right. I mean, 2-10 is tough. I don't care. I don't care if... You could you could be Houston Baptist, and if you're going two and ten or two and eleven, then that's you got to do something else. You got to try out. You got to try out another sport. I just want to know how did they get a neutral site game with LSU? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, 
LSU Pro was probably like, hey, can we get a discount? And they're like, how? They're like, can we? Or actually, LSU probably paid paid more to get a neutral site game instead of uh, instead of traveling to Rice. I don't I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, maybe LSU <laughs> paid Rice less to not have to come to Tiger Stadium. That's fair enough. I just had to ask, but. Guys, we are going to end this segment here, um, but we're going to move on to a new segment. We're starting a new one here, and it was all sparked because ESPN power ranked the number one recruits in the ESPN era, which starts around 2006. So this kind of got me and Brandon thinking, why not re-rank or re reanalyze each recruiting class and give you guys the real top five players from each recruiting class since 2013. We picked this year because that just, it, it just, it seemed to fit to be honest with you. And we don't have time to analyze every single recruiting class of all time. And we're only going to an- reanalyze the top 100 recruits, 100 recruits and pick the top five because it's impossible to go through the, what uh, the composite for two, four, seven goes to a thousand recruits so it would have been outrageous um so we're going to analyze the top 100 and pick the top five players from each class based on their performance after high school this episode we're starting with a loaded 2013 class and the top two players here were robert kimdichi and jalen smith who each have respectable college careers so brandon we're going to snake this and we're going to go wait are we drafting it no, no, no. We're just going to go in like snake-style order. Um, oh, we're not so, going to so draft it. Yeah, we can still pick the same players. We're going to snake it and go in reverse order, Brandon. So who is your number five recruit in this class now? My number five uh, recruit in this class now, that's tough. I, I had my first picked up or, or my first pulled up. Um, my number five is going to be Alvin Kamara at Tennessee. I think even though you know he only played – he only played two seasons for Tennessee. Um, I think what he did there was pretty respectable. And, I, you know, to be completely honest with you, I'm not going to defend his college stats too much. I thought we were going on to say, hey, here's what they do even to this day. So if we're talking NFL, I mean, this guy, what a monster. Uh, but even his college stats, I mean, they were pretty good. Uh, he was in the class of 2013. I think he was somewhere around like 60, 70 um, in, in that uh, recruiting cycle. But um, at Tennessee, you know, he had 210 touches out of the backfield um, for thir- or for 1,300 yards combined, uh, 16 rushing touchdowns, um, 700 yards receiving uh, on 74 catches, seven receiving touchdowns. And we see where he's taken that, you know, into the NFL. He's, you know, besides Christian McCaffrey, I- I'd have to list him as one of the top receiving backs in the league. Um but I mean, from scrimmage, I mean, he has he has nearly two thousand yards. Uh, he averages seven yards every single play, every single time he touches the ball. I mean, he had twenty three total touchdowns. This is just over two seasons. Um, you know, I, I you know I'm starting to realize now it's a pretty bad look that I have him on this list, but uh, I couldn't leave him off. Yeah, bad look, Brandon. Um, I'm going to make you look real bad when I give my number five player. I have Joey Bosa. Uh, okay. <laughs> Brandon said, "Yep." Um, Ohio State defensive end, originally the number thirty-seven overall recruit in the country, and what Bosa lived up to all the hype and more <laughs> at his time at Ohio State. 
He was the 2014 Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, a two-time consensus All-American. He is top 10 in all-time sacks in Big Ten history, top five in career tackles for loss in Big Ten history, and he may have been ranked outside the top 30, but for me, there's no question that Joey Bosa belongs much higher in this re-rank, and he deserves a top five ranking here. Yeah, I mean, he's on my list too. Um, you know, he's he's a little bit higher, not to brag, but uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely deserves to be on this list. And so since we're snaking it, guys, at number four, I have Jalen Smith, Notre Dame linebacker. He was originally the number two overall recruit. He fell a little bit, but let me say this. He made our all-decade team here on the Blue Bloods, and even though he dropped two spots, there's no reason to scoff at what this guy did. He was arguably one of the most dominant linebackers of the decade. He was a consensus All-American in 2015. He was a Buckus Award winner. He had over 100 tackles in two straight seasons and over 50 in his freshman season where he only played half the year. Over 20 tackles for loss in his career. And he may not be the number two player in this class anymore, but for me, he's a top five player in this class. And if it wasn't for a tragic injury, he might have went top five in the draft as well. But as you remember, he tore his ACL in the Fiesta Bowl in his last ever college game. Right, right, he did. It's tough. It's, um, it's a bad yeah. look. Yeah, Jalen Smith, very dominant player. Uh, like I said, I I thought we were going with uh, what they've done to today. So next time, I know what we're doing. Um, but for my number four player to continue, um, I've got Jalen Ramsey. Ever heard of him? Um, Jalen Ramsey, obviously, uh, uh, defensive back, cornerback at uh, Florida State. Um, he played for three seasons. He played his freshman, sophomore, junior season, got draft, went to the draft after that. Um, but throughout his career, uh, I mean, as a cornerback, he had five sacks. He had 15 and a half tackles for loss, uh, 181 total tackles. I mean, and, and – and let's highlight his uh, sophomore year uh, year real quick because I think that's really what made him. Um, over his sophomore season, he had 48 solo tackles, 32 assists on tackles, um, 80, uh, 80 total tackles is what that makes up for. Uh, 10 tackles for loss just in that one year. I just said he had that 15 and a half, but 10 in that one year. Three sacks, two interceptions, and he had, he had 30 return yards on those interceptions. Um, 12 passes defended. That's nothing to scoff at either. Uh, he, you know, he, he was a consensus All-American in 2015. He had, you know, he, he, he holds the record for most uh, forced fumbles in the ACC in 2014. Uh, just an overall incredible athlete. I think what he's done in the NFL has even highlighted that more. Um, like I said, that's kind of what I thought we were doing here. But it's not, and I'm actually going to stick by this one. I, I think this is a good pick even for college. So I'm going to go ahead yeah. and continue on to my – yeah, I'm going to go ahead and continue on to my number three pick, which Zach already highlighted, um, Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa, fantastic player. Zach's already talked about him. I'm not going to run through it again. Um, but, yeah, he, he he's on my list as well. I had him a lot higher than Zach. I guess I like him more. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough, and there's, some f- there's five good players here. And for my number three, oh, this is going to be so controversial. Um, I have Derrick Henry. Wow, okay. Alabama running back, he was originally the number 12 overall recruit. 
And listen, I know it's controversial because he's the only Heisman winner on this list, but I feel like there's two other players that were more consistent through their career and had a better overall career than Henry's one explosive year. I know there's some who may not agree with this, but just wait till my next two picks to hear me out here. Um, and really, and truly, do I really need to justify why I have Henry in the top three? I mean, he was a Heisman winner. He had 42 total rushing touchdowns. That's 10th in SEC history. Over 3,500 rushing yards in his career. That's top 20 in SEC history. And just in his junior year, man, he rushed for over 2,200 yards. He was one of the, Henry was one of the most dominant running backs of his time. And I think he's going to go down as the best running back in Alabama football history. Okay. I mean, I definitely, I, I have to agree with you there. I mean, he's not only a power back, I think he's also just a speed back. Um, he's on my list as well. Spoiler alert. So yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. It, it it's, it, I think it's a good pick, but, um, so yeah, for number two, uh, the, uh listen, this is, I, I, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's going to come off really bad. I have Ezekiel Elliott. Ohio State like running back. I don't like this. Period. Um, he was originally the number six, the the 69th overall recruit. And nice. hear me out. Elliot is above a Hosman winning running back, but Elliot had a better overall college career than Derrick Henry did. He had more rushing yards, more touchdowns, more thousand yard seasons, and he was just as decorated. The only thing Henry had that Elliot didn't is the Hosman. Elliott was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. He was top five in rushing yards in back-to-back seasons for the entire country. He was top 10 in yards per rush in Big, in Big Ten history, and he's top 15 in Big Ten history in touchdowns. He was one of the most consistent and dominant running backs in this class and was just missing one piece, which was that Hosman. But he got his revenge on Alabama by beating them in the playoffs to lead that team to a national championship. And I think Ezekiel Elliott is the number two player in this class on this re-rank. Well, Zach's doing my work for me because my number two player was Derrick Henry and my number one player is Ezekiel Elliott. I feel like I'm missing somebody, which makes me – is it Mitchell Trubisky? Am I missing Mitchell Trubisky? <laughs> no, Mitchell Trubisky is not on my list. Okay, well, Zach, go ahead and hit us with your number one, I guess. I already – I mean, I don't – I don't feel like I don't have to, like, sing their praises again, so – um, I have Jalen Ramsey for Florida State. Oh, defensive well, he back. was number four on my list, so I didn't yeah. miss anybody. That's good. That you didn't better. miss anyone. Um, Brandon, he was the number 16 overall recruit in the class. And listen, guys, Ramsey is probably, even as an Auburn fan, one of my favorite college players of all time. He had everything, guys. He had the speed, the size, the physicality, and the playmaking ability. He was a three-year starter at Florida State at DB. And his whole career, he was the best defensive back on the field at all times. Like, I'm not going to go back through his stats, but for me, his stats are deflated because his last two seasons, quarterbacks would just not throw at him. Ramsey was that corner, kind of like Darrell Rivas was in the NFL, that just shut down the ha- that half of the field. He was a... He was just the perfect shutdown corner, and I really think, and he was the um, defensive back pick for our all-decade team. He is probably the best DB 
of the decade, probably since 2000 or more, and he locked down the number one spot for me here. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had him on my list. I had him a little bit lower. Um, I feel like there's some kind of like bond between you and Jalen Ramsey like, like that I just haven't heard about. I, I always liked him, man. And when he came out for the draft, he was my top prospect in that draft too. I I really, really like Jalen Ramsey. I think I, I think he was overlooked a lot just because he played at Florida State when maybe they weren't at their peak. But yeah. I, I feel like he was really, really underrated because a lot of average football fans think that just because a DB doesn't get a lot of stats, it means they suck. But it really means the best DBs aren't going to have gaudy stats because they're not going to get thrown at. If the wide receiver's yeah. not open, why is the quarterback going to throw at them? Fair enough. I mean, that's, <laughs> and, 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 I, and the crazy thing is that, you know, you talked about his uh, sophomore season even, you know, the quarterbacks wouldn't throw to his side of the field, and he still had those stat lines. I mean, he still had 12 passes defended that season. Exactly. That's what I'm uh, – Jalen Ramsey is that guy. And if you don't believe me, just go watch his highlight tapes from Florida State. If you missed him, for me, he's probably the greatest college defensive back I've ever watched. And wow, that's, that's just how point. I feel. That's just how I feel. And, guys, we're going to end that there. We're going to come back next – well, not next episode, guys. We'll make the announcement at the end of the show. But our next full episode, we're going to go back to the 2014 class. But for right now, guys, we're going to move on. Last segment of the day. And as we usually do, we always end the show with an exclusive recruiting update. Uh, Check out our most recent episodes to catch up on updates from all around the country. But today – We head down to Waco, Texas, like I said, to analyze the Baylor Bears 2021 class. And they're trying to improve from a number 59 class last season. And Dave Aranda is trying to find that elite talent that he brought to LSU to bring to Waco. This class is headlined with five top 500 recruits. And the Bears still have multiple spots in the class open. So Aranda is not done. Brandon, what's your take on this class? And what do you think of Aranda's job so far? Um, it's a definite improvement from the past season. I'll say that, you know, right now they're sitting at two in the big 12. Um, obviously they have 15 hard commits. So that's, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, and they're up to 21 nationally and Zach, that's, that's up from number 59 in 2020. So yeah, you know, I I think right now it, it looks very good. Like you said, they have five top 500 recruits. Um, so they have, uh, every single one of their um, commits right now is a three-star player. I'm not mad at that, you know, especially for Baylor. Um, Baylor's not really a program that's going to have the five-star commits all the time. Uh, obviously, they'll, they'll get their fair share every now and then. I mean, um, let's see. I, I mean, let's run through it real quick. Who? I mean, I can't think of a five-star they've had. I, I know that Jared Stidham um, committed there originally, right, Zach? Yeah, he was he was a four star, um, I believe yeah. initially. So it's one of the, it's up there. I mean, they've had some really good recruits. I mean, let's not get it twisted. I mean, but I think that the perception of Baylor has been a little bit different because Oklahoma and Texas really steal a lot of the big talent away from that area. They do, and at the end of the day, it's still Baylor, and it's still a program that's recovering from what happened during the Art Bryles era. Um, 
but I mean, at the same time, this is, this looks like a really good bounce back at the moment, right? I mean, they've got a three star running back who, uh, you know, out of Texas, uh, Jordan Jenkins, who's their top recruit right now. Um, very good player. I mean, go watch his highlight films. He, he's a true athlete. Um, I think he can do big things at Baylor. Um, they've got Kyron Drones, who's a dual threat quarterback, um, another athlete, you know, heading into this Baylor system. Um, one thing that I was kind of, uh, that I'm kind of, you know, still on the fence about is, is the lack, or not really lack, but um, it seems like a lack of defensive recruiting to me. I mean, they have six defensive uh, commits right now um, out of their 15 total commits. Or I'm sorry, they have seven. So, I mean, it's close to half, but you think that Dave Aranda is such a good defensive uh, mind. You'd think he'd, he'd pull in more defensive talent. And and it's not only that, but it's the fact that the defensive players are near the bottom of their list, um, you know, when it comes to recruiting. It, it kind of seems like the bottom half of their uh, recruit, recruits are the defensive players. You know, they have a lot of offensive players. Um, I'd like to see where this kind of turns around as time continues, as you know, the next ten recruits roll in to Baylor. Um, and actually, I'm gonna stop for now, Zach. I'm gonna let you continue on, and I'll, I'll give you my geographic breakdown after Zach's done. <laughs> that was my like main breakdown. Of the cl- the class is that um, he the whole class is pretty much Texas. I mean, it's what yeah. twelve of the fifteen. Yeah, twelve of the fifteen. The others are from the southwest as well, except for Missouri. I mean, they have one. They have one recruit from Missouri just out of nowhere. But uh, other than that, I mean, all their all their recruits are from the southwest. I mean, mostly Texas. Yeah, and you know, you're going to find more about this at the end of the show. When we make the announcement. We talk about this class a little bit next week, but. Aranda is using his location to his advantage, and I think he's going to make some moves in Louisiana coming up. When the visits can start happening, Aranda's going to dip his hand in connections from the south. Uh, get ready, Georgia, uh, um, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, all these all these places Aranda can recruit, so watch out. And then he's already going to have Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, just because – of where he is. So I think Aranda's doing the best job he can in a situation where he can't get recruits to campus and make relationships with this new staff they have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I can see it. I don't know that he's going to be stealing, like he might steal recruits away. Um, and I know you didn't say this, but I, I, I don't really see him stealing like big name recruits away from these SEC uh <laughs> these SEC teams. Those four stars might be coming. I'm just telling you. Maybe not the five stars, but there might be some four stars he secretly gets. But um, I want to go on to look at some of these recruits. My favorite recruit in this class, my favorite top recruit, is Chiron Drones. Um, and he's the 441st overall recruit. He's the number 15 dual threat quarterback. And his pro comparison or college comparison is Jamie Newman, former Wake Forest quarterback, now at Georgia. He has similar size as Newman, about 6'2", 195, and they have very similar playing styles. The only problem I see with um, with drones is that he doesn't have elite speed, He has, but he has enough speed and quickness to move around the pocket. But 
The biggest thing for drones is that his size allows him to break just easy arm tackles and avoid injury due to big hits because he can bring the hits to the linebackers. He has great ball, ball velocity, and I think he has the arm strength to be a threat and press that defense at all levels of the field. And evident in his stats last season where he threw for over 3,400 yards and 46 touchdowns, and he still had 18 rushing touchdowns and over 800 yards rushing. So... For me, Drones is a developmental quarterback, but watch out when he gets to his sophomore, junior year. I think he could be a serious threat in the Big 12. Yeah, um, he definitely could be. And I mentioned him earlier. Um, You know, he kind of stuck out to me as well. The player that I'm going to talk about real quick, though, is uh, going to be the anomaly of what I talked about earlier. I'm about to go with Tevin Williams. Um, He's a cornerback out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. And like I said earlier, it kind of seems like, you know, it, it seems like the defensive players are toward the bottom of this recruiting list here in Baylor. Um, Tevin's not. Tevin's the number three player for Baylor right now. Um, he's like, what is he? He's like the number seven player out of Oklahoma. No, not seven. He's like the number, uh, yeah, seven player out of Oklahoma. That's that's right. Um, he's the 31st best cornerback in the country. And I think that's a big takeaway. Um from this draft class. And, and I think that is Dave Aranda's defensive mind, like going to work and his recruiting skills, just truly going to work. I mean, to go into Stillwater and, and take this recruit, that's, that's something that's very impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that speaks volumes about uh, Dave Aranda's uh, recruiting about uh, Baylor's prevalence in the big 12 today. You know, they're, they're bouncing back. Like I said, um, one one other thing that I do want to mention uh, real quick before we end this segment is is that um, is that Baylor has fifteen hard commits right now. Zach, Zach, do you know how many how many commits they had the last recruiting cycle? Like total? What's that? They had seventeen. Aranda's doing work. They have a lot of scholarships available, man. They really do, and that's why I think that Baylor's going to be a threat for some of these pro- some of these players that might be borderline commits for bigger programs who wait out for five stars. So why not go ahead and take a spot that you have at Baylor and, and risk the chance that LSU or Ole Miss or Mississippi State doesn't have a scholarship for you? Absolutely, and that's what I mean. It makes a lot of sense. Like I said, they, they had 17 commits out of high school. They had two transfers. So 19 total. Right now, they're sitting at 15. They've got a whole nother year. Yeah, I mean, it's it to me, it things are trending upward. It's very obvious right now. Yeah, it is. And, you know, another – so I always give you guys two underrated prospects. Um, my first one is Elijah Bean. He is the five hundredth the five hundred and second overall recruit, and the number eighty four wide receiver, and he's out of Humble, Texas. He, for me, this kid has it all, man. He's a long link, a, a long lanky, rangy receiver with elite deep ball ability. Brandon, he's six five, one eighty five, and is a track star with a, with an eleven eleven second one hundred yard meter speed. Yeah, it's 100 okay. meter speed. I like that. And his NF, his brother plays played in the NFL for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think he has all the physical tools to be a multi year starter. But he does have a few areas that he can improve on. And the first one is the, his hands and fluidity. 
He sometimes lets the ball, you know, he doesn't catch the ball away from his body. He's not very fluid in his hip movement and his release. He gets jammed up at the line a lot. But I think if he puts on a little bit of weight, that could be improved on. And Brandon, what else is spring practice and rest your ears all about? It's improving little things like that that make you a better wide receiver. And I expect Bean to develop and become a leading receiver in the Big 12. And guys, quote me on this. Look for his name to be set on in the NFL draft one day because Elijah Bean is overlooked. And I think he, he easily could be the next Denzel Mims for Baylor. Okay. Uh, I like the take. <laughs> and for my last prospect, guys, before we wrap this up, is, is Cisco Castos out of Weatherford, Texas. He's the number f- 517 overall player, the 36th ranked safety. And this kid, man, Brandon, I don't know if you've watched this kid's huddle film or not. After the show, go and watch it. The first play will back me up on this. He plays physical, hard-nosed football from the safety spot and will knock your head off every single play if he can. He's 6'2", 195, and his frame is really big, and he easily could add 10 to 15 pounds of muscle and be a serious, serious problem in the Big 12, which really isn't known for their big physical DBs. And I think this player is coming to Baylor because of Dave Aranda. And he'll he'll project as a hybrid-type safety and – he really excels in tackling and run support and he can play the middle of the field really, really well because he has a good hit movement and great acceleration. The only things I need to see are his ball skills and playmaking ability improve, but those can be developed at Baylor under Aranda. He's a two sport athlete football and track, which speaks to his athleticism and speed. And I really think everyone should look out for Castos in Waco, Texas in the coming years. And I think he could be a three, four-year starter and be in the NFL draft one day, even though he's not even a top 500 recruit right now. Yeah, absolutely. And Zach, good Lord, I just saw that hit. Okay. Yeah, very physical. Yeah, there's like um, there's like 15 more of them in there too, man. He he unloads on kids in that tape. And, and he's a defender too, man. He's he, Look, I, he plays the field very well. Um I love his size. Uh, I mean, at six two one ninety five, look like you said, easily could add another ten fifteen pounds of muscle over his college career. And at that point, who's to say he couldn't play down at linebacker, right? Like an outside linebacker. So um, I think he's going to be a fantastic, probably strong safety. If I had to guess, um, could be a free safety. I think he plays both. But yeah, I, I like that pick as well. Yeah, but guys, that is going to wrap up the show. Um, another full episode today. So a few announcements for you guys. Stick around for at least the beginning of this. Um, I want to give a shout out to my boy, Brandon, getting married this week. So we're going to take a little hiatus from the podcast, guys. But guess what? We put in some work. That does not mean we're leaving you guys. We have two amazing interviews set up for you guys. We held on to them. We have, we're going to release one on Thursday this week and one next Monday. Um, the first episode is the great Bob Kessling out of Tennessee, play-by-play guy for the Tennessee Volunteers. Big shout-out to Bob for coming on. Cannot wait for you guys to hear that interview. And the second is John Morris. I kind of highlighted this earlier. He is the Baylor play-by-play. 
so we get into all things Baylor football with him. So look out for those two interviews coming up. If you know anyone who are fans of either of those teams, let them know to come check us out. Let them come, you know, tell them to come check us out anyway, even if you're not a Baylor or Tennessee fan. But guys, social media at the underscore blue bloods is our Instagram handle at the underscore underscore blue bloods is our Twitter handle at the blue bloods pod is our Facebook, the blue bloods pod, the blue bloods CFB podcast is our YouTube. Um, you can find the podcast literally anywhere you listen to podcasts guys. Um, we really love all you guys who, who listen to us twice a week. Um, you don't know how much that means to us. And, Guys, keep subscribing, keep listening, rate the podcast, all that good stuff. But guys, until what was was it next next Thursday, we will be back with you guys. But enjoy the interviews, guys. We'll see y'all soon. But for right now, we out.